Section 5 of The Quintessence of Ibsenism This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Asterix The Quintessence of Ibsenism by George Bernard Shaw Section 5 The Plays Peer Gint Brand dies a saint, having caused more intense suffering by his saintliness than the most talented sinner could possibly have done with twice his opportunities. Ibsen does not leave this to be inferred. In another dramatic poem he gives us an accomplished rascal named Peer Gint, an idealist who avoids Brand's errors by setting up as his ideal the realization of himself by the utter satisfaction of his own will. In this he would seem to be on the path to which Ibsen himself points, and indeed all who know the two plays will agree that whether or no it was better to be Peer Gint than Brand, it was beyond all question better to be the mother or the sweetheart of Peer scapegrace and liar as he was than mother or wife to the saintly brand brand would force his ideal on all men and women peer gint keeps his ideal for himself alone it is indeed implicit in the ideal itself that it should be unique that he alone should have the force to realize it for peer's first boyish notion of the self-realized man is not the saint, but the demigod whose indomitable will is stronger than destiny, the fighter, the master, the man whom no woman can resist, the mighty hunter, the knight of a thousand adventures, the model, in short, of the lover in a lady's novel, or the hero in a boy's romance. Now no such person exists, or ever did exist or ever can exist. The man who cultivates an indomitable will and refuses to make way for anything or anybody soon finds that he cannot hold a street crossing against a tramcar, much less a world against the whole human race. Only by plunging into illusions to which every fact gives the lie can he persuade himself that his will is a force that will overcome all other forces, or that it is less conditioned by circumstances than is a wheelbarrow. However, Peer Gint, being imaginative enough to conceive his ideal, is also imaginative enough to find illusions to hide its unreality and to persuade himself that Peer Gint, the shabby countryside loafer, is Peer Gint, emperor of himself, as he writes over the door of his hut in the mountains. His hunting feats are invented. His military genius has no solider foundation than a street fight with a smith, and his reputation as an adventurous daredevil he has to gain by the bravado of carrying off the bride from a wedding at which the guests snub him. Only in the mountains can he enjoy his illusions undisturbed by ridicule. Yet even in the mountains he finds obstacles which he cannot force his way through, 
obstacles which withstand him as spirits with voices telling him that he must go round but he will not he will go forward he will cut his path sword in hand in spite of fate all the same he has to go round for the world will is without peergint as well as within him then he tries the supernatural only to find that it means nothing more than the transmogrifying of squalid realities by lies and pretences still like our amateurs of thaumaturgy he is willing to enter into a conspiracy of make-believe up to a certain point when the trolled king's daughter appears as a repulsive ragged creature riding on a pig he is ready to accept her as a beautiful princess on a noble steed on condition that she accepts his mother's tumble-down farmhouse with the broken window-panes stopped up with old clouts as a splendid castle he will go with her among the trolls and pretend that the gruesome ravine in which they hold their orgies is a glorious palace he will partake of their filthy food and declare it nectar and ambrosia he will applaud their obscene antics as exquisite dancing and their discordant din as divine music but when they finally propose to slit his eyes so that he may see and hear these things not as they are but as he has been pretending to see and hear them he draws back resolved to be himself even in self-deception he leaves the mountains and becomes a prosperous man of business in america highly respectable and ready for any profitable speculation slave trade bible trade whisky trade missionary trade anything in this phase he takes to piety and persuades himself like mr stanley that he is under the special care of god this opinion is shaken by an adventure in which he is marooned on the african coast and it is not restored until the treacherous friends who marooned him are destroyed before his eyes by the blowing up of the steam yacht they have just stolen from him when he utters his celebrated exclamation ah god is a father to me after all but economical he certainly is not he finds a white horse in the desert and is accepted on its account as the messiah by an arab tribe a success which moves him to declare that now at last he is really worshipped for himself whereas in america people only respected his breastpin the symbol of his money in commerce too he reflects his eminence was a mere matter of chance whilst as a prophet he is eminent by pure natural fitness for the post this is ended by his falling in love with a dancing girl who after leading him into every sort of undignified and ludicrous extravagance ranging from his hailing her as the eternal feminine of goethe to the more practical folly of giving her his white horse and all his prophetic finery runs away with the spoil and leaves him once more helpless and alone in the desert he wanders until he comes to the great sphinx beside which he finds a german gentleman in great perplexity as to who the sphinx is peer gint seeing in that impassive immovable majestic figure a symbol of his own ideal is able to tell the german gentleman at once that the sphinx is itself 
This explanation dazzles the German, who, after some further discussion of the philosophy of self-realization, invites Peer Gint to accompany him to a club of learned men in Cairo, who are ripe for enlightenment on this very question. Peer, delighted, accompanies the German to the club, which turns out to be a madhouse in which the lunatics have broken loose and locked up their keepers. It is in this madhouse, and by these madmen, that Peer Gint is at last crowned emperor of himself. He receives their homage as he lies in the dust, fainting with terror. As an old man, Peer Gint, returning to the scenes of his early adventures, is troubled with the prospect of meeting a certain button-moulder, who threatens to make short work of his realised self, by melting it down into buttons in his crucible, with a heap of other button material. Immediately the old exaltation of the self-realizer is changed into an unspeakable dread of the button-moulder, death, to avoid whom Peer Gint will commit any act, even to pushing a drowning man from the spar he is clinging to in a shipwreck, lest it should not suffice to support too. At last he finds a deserted sweetheart of his youth still waiting for him and still believing in him. In the imagination of this old woman he finds the ideal Peer Gint, whilst in himself the loafer, the braggart, the confederate of sham magicians, the Charleston speculator, the false prophet, the dancing girl's dupe, the bedlam emperor, the selfish thruster of the drowning man into the waves, there is nothing heroic, nothing but commonplace, self-seeking and shirking, cowardice and sensuality, failed only by the romantic fancies of the born liar. With this crowningly unreal realization, he is left to face the button-moulder as best he can. Peer Gint has puzzled a good many people by Ibsen's fantastic and subtle treatment of its thesis. It is so far a difficult play that the ideal of unconditional self-realization, however familiar its suggestions may be to the ambitious reader, is not at all understood by him, much less formulated as a proposition in metaphysics. When it is stated to him by someone who does understand it, he unhesitatingly dismisses it as idiotic, and it is because he is perfectly right in doing so, because it is idiotic in the most accurate sense of the term, that he finds such difficulty in recognizing it as the common ideal of his own prototype, the pushing, competitive, success-loving man who is the hero of the modern world. There is nothing novel in Ibsen's dramatic method of reducing these ideals to absurdity. Exactly as Cervantes took the old ideal of chivalry and showed what came of a man attempting to act as if it were real, so Ibsen takes the ideals of Brand and Peer Gint and treats them in the very same manner. Don Quixote acts as if he were a perfect knight in a world of giants and distressed damsels instead of a country gentleman in a land of innkeepers and farm wenches 
Brand acts as if he were the perfect Adam in a world where, by resolute rejection of all compromise with imperfection, it was immediately possible to change the rainbow bridge between flesh and spirit into as enduring a structure as the Tower of Babel was intended to be, thereby restoring man to the condition in which he walked with God in the garden. And Peer Gint tries to act as if he had in him a special force that could be concentrated so as to prevail over all other forces. They ignore the real, ignore what they are and where they are, not only, like Nelson, shutting their eyes to the signals that a brave man may disregard, but insanely steering straight on the rocks that no resolution can prevail against. Observe that neither Cervantes nor Ibsen is incredulous, in the Philistine way, as to the power of ideals over men. Don Quixote, Brand, and Peer Gint are, all three, men of action, seeking to realize their ideals in deeds. However ridiculous Don Quixote makes himself, you cannot dislike or despise him much less think that it would have been better for him to have been a philistine like sancho and peergint selfish rascal as he is is not unlovable brand made terrible by the consequences of his idealism to others is heroic their castles in the air are more beautiful than castles of brick and mortar but one cannot live in them and they seduce men into pretending that every hovel is such a castle, just as Peer Gint pretended that the trolled king's den was a palace. End of chapter 5